If you had a message you reckon the world needs, how do you get it out there? My guest today is Kalen Huntress. Kalen's a marketing guru. He's traveled the world and looks after people all over this globe. We talk about tall poppy syndrome, the difference between Australians and Americans. He helps people identify their why and then how to share that message with the rest of the world. All right, welcome to the Reset Podcast, Kaylin Huntress, my guru of all things marketing and and presenting online. Um, welcome to the Reset Podcast, mate. How are you? Thanks. I'm doing great, Luke. Thanks for having me on. So, for people for people who don't know who you are, tell me what you do. Tell tell me a, a day in the life of Kaylin. Well, I'm a digital marketer by trade. Um, I uh, I'm an American originally, but I left the states ten years ago, and I now live in New Zealand. And I've spent the last ten years running an online business while traveling the world with my young family. And uh, I I work a lot with uh, with entrepreneurs who have their their own brand and uh, and a body of work. So I work a lot with authors and coaches and speakers and people who have a message that they need to monetize. And, and that's what I do. Is I help people set up smart marketing systems that automate their lead generation. Right. I need to talk to you more. <laughs> so well, that's what, why we're talking today, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what are the, the blocks that most people have? What are the things that they need to, you know, the, the concept of reset is control, alt, delete. What things in that do they need to, need to do differently, need to get rid of, you know, well, what are the blocks? You know, what I, what I find so interesting, Luke, is that a lot of people who are, are uh, self-marketers, they're, they're either solopreneurs or their name is their brand. Uh, they have this, um, uh, they typically have a block around selling themselves because they really like doing their craft or promoting their work or, sh- or spreading their message. But the idea of becoming a salesperson for that message is really anathema to a lot of those kinds of people. They don't, they don't want to be um, conflating their real message with, and here's why you should buy from me. So they just but, don't want to be that guy that's singing about themselves from the, that's from right. The, from the rooftops. They don't want to be the tall poppy. Who's just saying, come buy my stuff. They'd rather be authentically a teacher of their right. message, which I can totally understand, but a lot of their students are waiting out there for somebody to position their teaching as a solution to their problems. And that's really what marketing is. Marketing is just about solving problems. Okay. So do you find a difference between like a, an Australian and New Zealand culture? Like we talked before, you've, you've talked to five countries or something already this morning. Yeah. And, yeah uh, I this- think I'm the sixth, wasn't I? Yeah, I'm finally getting over onto across the international dateline. This morning, I talked to I talked to a guy in Portugal, somebody in uh, in Mexico, Germany, Canada, um, Nashville, and now you're my first Australian of the day. <laughs> and do you find like you, you talked about tall poppy syndrome before? And Australians love a good tall poppy syndrome. No one wants to let you know, let anyone get too big for their boots. And I think New Zealand's pretty similar. How do you? How have you gone transitioning from being American, where you know, look at look at they used to have as president, um, <laughs> speaking of tall poppies, they actually build them up even more to coming to the the kind of culture that we have that doesn't have that. That must have been quite a transition for you. And how did you handle that? It's very strange, Luke, because in America, a tall poppy is how you survive. It, the, the, I think the difference between egalitarian societies where equality is valued and tall poppies mm-hmm. get cut down 
and um, and achievement societies where like a meritocracy type situation. Right, right. Like in America, you have to achieve, or else you might not survive. But in Australia and New Zealand, there's a social floor. You're never really going to fall that far down, so you never should raise yourself that far up. I think the reason why Americans are so naturally tall poppies is because you have to display how you're excellent. Otherwise, you might get trampled. And so coming to New Zealand, it's been very delicate for me because I I don't want to. I I know what it's like to live in a different culture. I've lived in a, a, a number of different cultures besides the States, and I've learned how to not take all the air out of a room by holding back and listening, even though it's against my tendency, but I want to be respectful of the culture that I'm in. And working in New Zealand, it's, you know, it's a challenge to not bring my full American self to bear at the same time that because I work in sales and marketing, that's kind of why people want me in the room is because I can amplify to that level. And so it's a very delicate balance to not be the tall poppy, but to encourage others to raise themselves up at the same time. Yeah. And it, it must be hard to sort of work out the gauges of whether you're, you're treading that fine line well or not. What sort, what sort of things do you look for to make sure that you are sort of not going onto the other side and just pissing people off? I usually always redirect back to the, the other person. If I'm talking about myself too much, then I'm doing it wrong. But the more that I can talk about you, and I use this a lot in my coaching practice as well, if, if I'm focused on you and your problems, then you're going to get a lot out of the conversation. But if I tell you about how I solved a similar problem and how great I am, it's going to totally turn you off. And so yeah, by keeping the spotlight off of myself as much as I can, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to the way that I work, but I've had to learn how to do that just to keep you know, good social relationships with everyone. Okay, because one of the things you also do is is teach people how to automate a lot of that stuff as well. Sort of takes, and what what sort of what sort of things do you do you teach them as far as that goes? Well, I'm a systems guy, and I really right. like looking at the whole picture from start to finish. And so when I look at a customer journey, you know, how does a stranger become a customer? I try and clarify each one of those transitions between the first stage and the last stage. Because if you can clarify what happens at each transition point, then you can upgrade it. You can improve it. If I know that after some- Almost like little steps just going up to- Yeah, yeah. You're you're curating those steps instead of hoping that, well, I hope this new email subscriber reads my website and figures out how to buy from me. Instead, how do I take them by the hand and point out the interesting options that they could take and make them seem really appealing and setting up those systems for me, that's really fun. Right. And what, what sort of companies have you worked with? I've worked and what, with- give me, give me, give me an example of, of one that you've done and how you, how you, what you took them from and what you, what you reset and turned them into. Sure, sure. So a couple of years ago, I was working with a, a Hall of Fame public speaker in uh, in the United States, and he had there's a Hall uh, of Fame fame for public speaking. There is. Well, there's two <laughs> levels. There's CSP, which is Certified Speaking Professional, right. and then there's CPAE. I can't even remember what the acronym is, but it's like it's the Hall of Fame. You're like the right. the top tier speakers. And I was working with this uh, um, with this speaker, and he had a great big list and a great reputation, but he didn't have any systems to automate his marketing. And so I did an audit of his body of work, and I said, look, here's the things that are really valuable that solve small problems. 
Let's make these into lead magnets. And so we created these PDFs and these audio downloads and set up landing pages so that we could market those to his future customers. And when he Without said, him having I, to do anything once it's set up. That's right. That's right. It was all automated. And after they subscribed, then they would be taken through a sales funnel where they're given progressively larger offers. And setting up parallel sales funnels and monitoring their performance and optimizing them, that's, that's the sort of geeky stuff I like. Right. Just properly nerding out on the tech. That's right. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. but what's different about me, Luke, is that I, not only can I do the technical part of it, but I'm also a certified direct response copywriter. See, here I am being tall right. poppy again, puffing yeah. myself up. But no, I know blow, to... blow yourself up, mate. If you don't blow sunshine yeah. off your ass, no one else will. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so in, in, instead of just advising people on things they could do, what's different about me is that I can actually get my hands into their systems and do it as well. Yeah, right. So, And what, what do you find the biggest mistakes most people are making with stuff like copywriting and things like that? Is it, is it a concentrating on features too much and not concentrating on the benefits or what sort of things are you know they what doing? I think we do too much Luke is I think we focus too much on how and not enough on why when we know how to solve a problem because we're the experts in that solution we want to share the how because we this is the part we figured it out and this is the part that's valuable but the people who are facing that problem they actually don't want to know how it's fixed they want to know that you can fix it and if there's anything they want to hear from you, it's why the problem really needs to be solved. Save the how for your customers. But when you're building a list and generating leads, focus on why, because that's what your future subscribers and customers want to hear from somebody new. Yeah, it sounds very Simon sinek that, that sort of... That, <laughs> that's that a great adjective. Sinecky. But it makes... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if Simon sinek is actually a, an adjective, but it makes sense. But yeah, but what he did with that was, you know, starting with that and then and then sort of having those concentric circles going out into your yeah. into your what's and hows. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so you also do a lot of stuff teaching people how to present online, which must have just been fantastic for you through COVID because we're all having to do it. And it's actually really weird. You look back at some of the presentations that people were doing in February, March, and they were really terrible. And <laughs> a lot of people got a lot better at it by the time it, it. Yeah, yeah, by the time it got to sort of September, October. So yeah. what what sort of advice would you give people that are doing those to to get their virtual presentations working as well as they could? Well, I do a lot of work with speakers, and speakers are accustomed to getting up on stage and telling everybody to put your screens away and pay attention to me up here, but we can't do that anymore because it's through these screens that we engage. And I think Mm -hmm. the biggest mistake that people make, Luke, is thinking that a presentation on Zoom is one way. I'm on Mm -hmm. stage and you're in the audience listening to me. But if that's how you're going to present online, then they might as well go watch your YouTube replay or they might as well go watch something on Netflix. I mean, how do you like having Netflix as your competition? But that's what's competing for attention is passive, you don't participate entertainment. But so how do you pull them in? How do you, how do you, get, in, how do you get that engagement? So I've, I've done ones online when you're like, you know, you've gone to a lunchroom and there's like, you know, 10 blokes in high-vis just sitting back and you just, you, they just give you donuts when you, they don't give you anything when you're um, yeah. in those sort of situations. How do I, I really struggle with maintaining my energy when I'm doing a Zoom 
Zoom conference? What what sort of things do you help with? How do you help with that? Well, there's something special, Luke, in, in the present moment. The fact that we're sharing this moment together is different than if you watched a replay of me saying these same things. The fact that you're here and you can contribute, that matters. And so if I, as a presenter, ask for your contribution and I say, hey, I want to know what you think about this. Go ahead and type it in the chat box and let me know what you think about this thing. And then I read out what you typed. The fact that you contributed, it keeps you engaged. Yes, it does give you that little warm, fuzzy feeling that they noticed me. Yeah, I know it's me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the whole reason why Mad Libs work. Uh, Do you know what Mad Libs are? They're these- Well, they're they're these uh, fill-in-the-blank stories where you have a paragraph and it's got some blanks in it. And then one person says, okay, give me a noun. Give me an adjective. Give me a a reflexive verb. And you just give out all of these random words and then you fill in the blanks and you read this absurd story that's hilarious. A bit like Cards Against Humanity, that that sort of thing. Yeah, a little bit like that. But if if you just read it later then it's not as endearing. It's not as funny. It's not as fun because it's you didn't stupid. <laughs> But if the, the, the stupidity comes from contributions, I think that's the key. That's what people need to do differently in presenting on Zoom is ask for contributions early from their audience. Right. So get them, you know, you're not just sitting back here. We need, we need your energy and we need you to be part of this. And what sort of tools do you use to get them to be part of it? One of the, I always ask for responses in the chat right away. Um, I like to ask for thumbs up. You know, what do you think about this? Does this make sense? Can I see some thumbs? And we've got this neat reactions button on Zoom where you can do virtual thumbs. So yeah. in the first couple minutes of any presentation, I'm always getting some interaction like that because meetings continue how they begin. Yep. And if you ask for people to contribute early, it's a lot easier to get them to continue contributing than if you start asking for contributions halfway through. But if and you that's a little to- bit different to when you're doing it from stage because from stage you've almost got to you've got to earn their participation a little bit by being interesting at the start. So you're saying it's different to what you do, yeah. So you've got you've got to do that straight up and straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. It's um, I have one a co-author of my book is a, a lecturer at um, Queensland Uni, and he was he. Was talk, we were talking about it and he was doing all of his lectures on Zoom and was just hating it. He was coming, he loves teaching and he's an awesome teacher. And he actually changed it and got, he worked out how many people he could have in his room and got eight people in the room and then, and then did his, his lecture to the, to the camera on Zoom. And he found that just completely changed it all because all he needed was that feedback from those few people. And it completely changed it. And I guess what you're saying with that is getting that feedback early just keeps your energy up where it That's needs right. to be. Yeah, because if you're just, I mean, the, presenting for film is a specialized skill. Being able to talk into a camera like you're talking to people. But if you can get a grid where you can see those resp- responses in real time, then your participants will show you when they're engaged and when they're not. You know, when people are wearing glasses and that flash comes up because they've flicked over to another tab, that means that you're being boring and you haven't <laughs> earned their attention. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I reckon that's something that does happen. You actually see people like slyly looking down at their phones trying to to do stuff, which does make it tough, doesn't it? And yeah. how when when you are doing that sort of stuff, do you use chat rooms and things like that? Do you find do you find that helps? 
when well, you've got like, your groups? I like chat. I like breakout rooms. Um, Zoom has, I find Zoom is a great place for discussion, but for real interaction, I usually like to bring in third-party tools. So, you know, I'll use Mural or Jamboard where, so that we can do some whiteboarding. I use Flippity a whole lot so that we can do kinesthetic kind of exercises where people can, uh, can play games together. Uh, I really like some of the other platforms like, uh, uh, like Remo and Bramble. And there's a couple of other platforms where you can actually move your avatar around and decide mm-hmm. who you're going to talk with. I was on this great uh, demo of one the other day where, um, you know, you can move around in this lodge and you could only hear people who were close to you. And the further you went away, their volume went down and this, this like veil came over the video. So it kind of manufactured that feeling of being able to come and lurk on a conversation before you came in. It was fantastic. (laughs) I'm not sure people want to be realizing that they're lurking. We all do it, but I'm not sure it's. Uh, I'm not sure having that brought to your attention is going to be all that cool. But I, I love Remo. Remo, to me, is fantastic. We do them in our thought leaders, mm-hmm. our thought leaders conference. I think that's wonderful that you can actually go around and you see the avatars sitting at different tables and stuff like that. It's actually one of those ones that I'm surprised ha- hasn't gone boom. Like you look at what what Zoom's done, and it's like taken over the world in 2020. Remo doesn't appear to have done the same amount, but I guess it needs a, a bigger volume. Well, Remo is a, is a special use case. Remo is great for big groups. What's unique about Zoom is that it's great for big groups or small. Like you and I are having a two-person Zoom right now, but having a two-person Remo just wouldn't make sense. So Zoom yeah. has a greater applicability where people can come and use Zoom one-on-one and then say, hey, you know, this would work for 50 people. Whereas with Remo, it's really only for large groups. Yeah, and I guess with that too, you get used to using Zoom and you get comfortable with it. So why do I go to the other one? So I guess the times when it does work is when you really want that in, people to mingle like they do in a conference. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, you know, hopefully we we have conferences back soon. But I guess yeah, Zoom um, Zoom doesn't give you that quite as well. When you go into breakout rooms, it's always a little bit manufactured. Whereas being able to work out what table to sit at. Yeah, the hardest part for me with better. Zoom is that, you know, with the the host can bounce from breakout room to breakout room, but I've never found any Zoom interaction where that's smooth. You know, you've got three people and you're having this intimate conversation and then the host shows up. Yeah. And it's suddenly like just as and hey, what's happening? And you have to realign yourself to this new dynamic. It's why in Remo, you know, they've got these six seat tables and then they've got these two seat couches over on the side. And I love mm. those couches because you can get into a deep conversation. But if you're on a table and if you and I were on a table and there's two seats taken and we're really getting into it and then somebody shows up our conversations have been derailed and we have to realign yeah. around this new thing. And that's why I like lurking. I think that lurking, it has a real place in virtual conferences because it allows somebody to kind of like ease in. And then when they have something to contribute, fully show up. I, yeah. I think that's an interesting problem to solve. Oh, that, that comes down to almost like the, the, the manners of, of going in those sort of things. That you, when you go into a new room, just sit back, let, let it all go. Maybe you have a wave and, and don't actually change the conversation until you've been in there for a while and kind of worked out where it's going. Yeah, it's been interesting to see the etiquette develop. I, re- I remember the first few months of quarantine, um, there there had to be like this uh, this monologue anytime anybody left. Sorry, everybody, I have to go because I've got this thing, but I really, and like they had to deliver to everyone <laughs> why they were leaving early. And 
And now people are just like, see ya. And they'll, and they're out. I'm off. And no one cares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No it's one totally ever cares. Fun. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's amazing that the evolution of that sort of stuff. And do you, how do you think it's going to go with those sorts of things once people are back in person again and all of that sort of stuff? Do you think they're just going to work together or do you, do you think the normal conferences will dominate again? Well, it's how do, how do really, you think it's going to go? It, it's going to be really interesting to see this evolve because I think there's going to be a real place for hybrid conferences mm. where, yes, there's a live component, but there's also a virtual component that's just as effective. And what that's going to take is for presenters to become adept in hybrid presenting where I've got an audience in front of me and I've got a phone and I'm showing them who's over here and I'm, t- I'm presenting to them both to create yeah, okay. a, a parallel experience for both of them. And I think that that's the way of the future is hybrid experiences. Yeah, nice. That's, that's, that sounds really good. So if you were, a, if, if you were someone that, that needed to have a, a good look at your marketing, where would, where would your first base be to go once you've worked out your why and all of that sort of stuff? Where, where would you go then? Well, once you know your why, I, I'd say the, the thing to do with your marketing is to create a good lead magnet. And a lead magnet is a, is an, uh, a deliverable asset. It might be a PDF. It might be uh, a premium article. It might be an MP3 or a video series. But the, the precise format doesn't matter. But what does matter is that it solves a small, complicated problem that your audience regularly faces. Mm-hmm. And that's how you find the right kinds of people is you go into a community where your kinds of cu- customers hang out, you drop this lead magnet and the right kind of people come right to it. And they say, oh my and gosh, I face this problem. I need to solve this problem. And I don't want to figure out how to do it. Just tell me what I need to fix. And yeah, then you I get don't. them into a nurture sequence and develop a relationship with them. Yeah, nice. It doesn't seem so hard when you explain <laughs> it the way you do, but... I guess it just it comes into putting it in action, doesn't it? And actually getting it done. Yeah. But, yeah. And also isolating what it is that you're going to do from all the other things you could do. Because there's a lot of bad, stale advice online that you should do an evergreen webinar and you should host events and you should get Facebook ads. And it's, it's hard to know what to do because you don't know what's effective. Yeah. But as somebody who's in the trenches, who's do, running marketing campaigns day in and day out, I can tell you that what's most effective is having a good solid lead magnet. But the likelihood of getting that right on the first try is actually really low. You need yeah. to iterate a few times on that lead magnet to get something that really works with your audience. Yeah, nice. No, that, that, that sounds like really good advice. Mate, it's been great talking to you. Um, yeah, I'm sure you're going to be trekking around the rest of the world for, for the rest of today, but, um, <laughs> mate, to, to be able to work out and, and reset how you're doing your marketing and stuff, you, you've given some great advice. So thanks very much, Kyle. It's been great chatting too. Thanks for having me on, Luke. It was great talking to you Cheers, too. Buddy.